This is Mark 14, starting at verse 43. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Jesus immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. Judas immediately went to him. I think I read the wrong word there. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage of the betrayal, what a sad story it is for this individual. And how sad it is for somebody to to demonstrate that they never were believer before although they appeared to be quite the believer was in the right places at the right time being with the right people the right person and yet showed who he was Judas demonstrated how the sinfulness of man can be at its utter worst And Lord, if it were not for Your grace, we would all do that. Help us today to focus upon You and Your holiness and desire to follow You closer and making our election and calling sure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we start out in verse 43. And what's the word that we've been running across in the book of Mark, especially way back when? What was that word? immediately as he's in the garden of Gethsemane and then he hears that uh, they're they're coming. Here they come to betray. Jesus knew that. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, one of the twelve, now this is Mark writing this. This is the guy who rejects Christ that he's writing about. And Mark just can't get over it. One of the twelve. One of the twelve. One of the twelve. This guy was in the apostles' group. How can that be? Now we see quite frequently that um, that is the thought. The twelve. One of the twelve. Look in chapter 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot who was one of the twelve. I think Mark, being inspired by the Holy Spirit here, catches the idea. This is remarkable. He was one of the twelve. If anybody should have had it together, it should have been this guy, right? With those other guys. We turn to verse 20 of Mark 14. 
And he said to them, this is about at the, at the Passover, about the betrayal, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. One of the twelve who's going to do this. Really. I know that had to be disturbing. Matthew chapter 26, 14. How would you like to hear Jesus say in our group here, one of you is going to turn on me and show you that you show people that you're really not a believer. Now I would pray that that would never be, but wouldn't that be disastrous to hear that? Wouldn't it? Matthew 26 verse 14. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. He says one of the twelve again, doesn't he? This is Matthew saying this. Matthew uh, twelve or twenty six forty seven. While he was still speaking, this is in our text today, behold Judas, one of the twelve came up accompanied by a large crowd, swords and clubs. Luke twenty two verse forty seven. Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit in this whole story. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and one called Judas, one of the twelve, one of the apostles. And in John, oh, we're looking at every gospel. And they all say, one of the twelve. We would be appalled if that happened, wouldn't we? John six seventy one. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. All through the Gospels, one of the twelve. They are astounded. I can't believe it was this guy. The disciples were totally surprised it was him. He put on a pretty good act for three years, didn't he? Well, it's an ultimate tragedy. He had the greatest opportunity, the greatest privilege that could ever happen to any person to be walking with Jesus every day, all the time. When we sang that song this morning, My Lord is near me all the time. And He is. We don't see Him, but we know that. But for those three years, He saw Him. Saw the miracles saw all the things that He did, that He spoke. You know what? Yeah, He was a believer. He knew Jesus could do those things. But don't let our theology get in the way here. He was a believer in an outward, worldly way. As far as the disciples were concerned, He was a believer. I mean, if anybody looked like a believer, it was Him. Look where He was hanging out. From the point of view of a lot of people... He's one of the twelve. The disciples said, Oh, yeah. Is he a believer? Yes, certainly. He had obeyed the outward call of Jesus and followed Jesus. He had seemingly left all and followed Jesus to do that. He tasted of the heavenly gift. He shared in the the works of Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit. He tasted of the goodness of the Word of God. The powers of the of what's going to be coming in the world to come. Yeah, it's possible. 
to be a Christian in the world's eyes or even in the church's eyes sometimes and still be a son of perdition. We're not talking about somebody who loses salvation. We're talking about somebody who never was a believer from the start, but they appeared to be a, maybe more of a believer than anybody else. <laughs> they can even be that way. They can really look good. And I think there's a sense that that should scare us to death. And you all know I, I believe in the eternal security. If you're, if you're in Christ, you're there forever. and Not based upon your works. But I think there is the sense that we have to really take the holiness of God for sure. And if we bring this doctrine of eternal security in, you know, we, we definitely want to have the comfort in, in that. But um, at the same time, some people can appear to be so true in the visible church and not. The eternal security doctrine is that the elect of God will persevere to the end, and they will. Uh, they will do that. But it's possible for somebody that's a believer in the eyes of the church to fall away. You, you see what I'm talking about? There is a falling away. There is an apostasy. And those apostates are the ones who are never real. I, I've heard of stories, you've heard of stories, where people who study the Word of God, even preached it from the pulpit, they had it intellectually. And maybe 20, 30 years down the road, they forget it all. They walk away. And they say, I don't believe in God anymore. All the things that they used to tell, speak about, and all of a sudden it's not there and say, well, that person had to have lost his salvation. The problem is, if that be the case, if it really be the case, then he didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. But you sure can't appear. And that's what it is. Judas had never been a saved believer. Never had been, but he sure looked apart, didn't he? And he did uh, create the apostasy that uh, Jesus had talked about, the son of perdition. And so I think there is a point of here of where we really need to uh, have that sense of the fear of God and absolute respect of who He is. We all have known people who have walked away. And I'm not just talking about just walking away from church attendance. That is an important thing. Be careful about that. The enemy can fly you around and turn you around. You miss one time, it's easy to miss a second time, and a third time, the next time you're just kind of here and there hitting this. And that's dangerous to play with because the enemy loves that kind of thing. But now we're talking about something even more serious, to walk away from God, to say you don't believe in Him anymore. When you start having those doubts, folks, if the Word of God doesn't convince you and all the proofs that have been there, I don't know what else can. And you keep talking about that. I don't know how many people down through the years I've seen people do that. I've heard of people on their deathbed where they said, yeah, I I knew the things about Jesus. but And as they're dying, they say, I can't do anything about it now. It's too late. Because... I didn't ever really believe, and I still don't now, But and even if I did, it's too late. Well, we never know when it's too late. We never make a judgment on people. I'm glad that is God's job, and you stay praying for somebody until they're not here anymore. But the, the fact of the matter is, is um, 
we want to make our calling and our election sure. I don't want to scare you to death, but I, I want to make you realize how serious it is to start having little doubts, to start thinking less of God and uh, wondering why. why he's a, I've had this from people and people that have been in this church that have, and I'm saying this in the plurality, so I'm not picking on one individual, where they start saying, I can't believe in a God who would want all the worship and, and Him, what kind of God is that? That He'd want people to sit down and just worship Him. <coughs> and they're missing the whole point because that's what life is about. They can't imagine bowing the knee to Him. And whenever they start blaspheming God, and saying that that he's a lot less than what what we see here in the scripture, I just can't believe that he could. Uh, he's really that that good of a God. He hasn't treated me very fair, you know. And that's that's not the point, is it? It's all about him. So anyway, that's that's always good to have on our hearts there. And just remember, if you know you're a Christian, well, great, you should know you're a Christian. I'm not trying to make create doubt. Uh, the thing is, in, in Romans, it says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are believers. We have, we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And all those passages that we could uh, go about, and I'm not here to talk about the security of the believer here today, but we can count on that. Those are promises. Now, Judas pretty well knows where Jesus is going to be going. That's where they go. They, they go up the Mount of Olives, around the Garden of Gethsemane there. He's familiar with that area. And uh, he has to get permission from the Roman authorities to give, um, to give soldiers to go up there, to go along with the Jews. The Jews are kind of afraid to get out there. Even with their temple police, they have their little billy clubs. That's, that's the weapons that they have. And uh, you need some soldiers. We need a lot of soldiers as we go up there because, listen, if people get the idea that this might be happening, if they hear some, uh, and it's late at night, it's, it's in the wee hours of the morning, and if people hear and get drifted, maybe they might all band together and you might have some kind of uh, revolt. And that happened. That happened a lot, a crowd revolt uh, there in, in, in the times of, of feast and this being the, the Passover time. Now, um, as we go back to Mark 14, we know in verse 10 and 11, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this. They were so glad. Because they were wondering how to arrest him, and we can't do it at Passover time. There's too many people. This is not the right time. But somebody they weren't expecting shows up at the door. And he's already planned this out, right? Ahead of time. And he knows exactly when that, where that place is going to be. It wasn't going to be where they were having the Passover because that was a precious time that had to be fulfilled. Judas didn't know that. When he was in there, it was too late. He couldn't go out and tell the people. He was in there until Jesus said, go and do what you're going to do. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. So there's the plan. It's coming about. We know that Judas was filled with Satan. Can you imagine that? 
Now, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Now, how often? All the time. <laughs> continually. Be continually being fulfilled, Holy Spirit. You know, you've heard about being demon-possessed. You've heard about people having possessions by demons, and that is true. It's biblical. It's here. People today are possessed by demons. I have no doubt about it. He's working big time today. Satan is sending out demons. Jesus cast out many demons during this time. It was a time of demon possession. It was a it was a terrible dark time, and I think we have a lot of demonic possession through the use of drugs and through all the use of uh, alcohol, and through uh, use of uh, pornography, and on and on and on. All the evil things that are happening, and Satan, the enemies are definitely using all that. But Judas is actually possessed by Satan himself. See, Satan can only be at one place at one time. He's not like God. He's a created being. He is not equal to God at all. He's not equal to God. You know that, right? I mean, not even close. He was created by God. God can control him, and He does. But He uses him for His plan also. That's incredible. There's a sense... I believe here where the devil himself has taken control over Judas. Not just a demonic possession, but the head of them all. Satan himself. Go to John 13.2. Can you imagine Satan coming into a being and this happening? But if you are of the Lord's, that will not happen. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. This was an influence by Satan himself into Judas. Um, That's verse 2. Look at verse 26. Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Jesus knew exactly when that happened. Nobody else did. Jesus knew. Folks, I am so glad that Christians cannot be possessed by Satan or demons. They certainly be influenced by him and by the things of the world that's going on. I don't deny that. But this is quite the special thing that is happening here to this Judas. Look in Luke 22, verse 3. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve Wow. So, that's number one. One of the twelve. Let's go to number two. Let's look at this organized mob in Mark 14. They are organized. Judas has gotten them together. And uh, we see here that in verse 43, he was accompanied by a crowd a lot of people, with swords and clubs who were from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. 
Now, there, Mark is presenting the religious leaders, the clubs. Swords is mentioned, Makara. And this is something that indicates, and in another passage, we know that there are Roman soldiers, and as you go down through here, you can kind of see that, what's going on. And in the other Gospels, uh, we see that very clearly. The clubs would be used by the temple police. They used billy clubs. Remember the time whenever they, uh, police would actually have billy clubs? I don't know if they have those today or not. Do they still have them? Maybe they use the pepper spray or something. I don't know. Maybe some of them still do. But anyway, the, the, the temple police didn't use deadly weapons, but they would control a crowd around the temple. And if things get out of hand, when you have two million people in town, you need the Romans there to control it. And that's exactly where they have come for this particular feast. They're all around. They know there have been uprisings before. They have to control it. They, they are located in a building that's very close to the temple, around the heart of the city there. And uh, here come the temple police, the temple security. Here come the Romans. A Romans with their swords. The Romans have the deadly weapons, the machaira. It's a two-edged dagger that could pierce through. It wasn't a huge, long-type sword. Some might have had that, but for the most part, this particular word here is for that short kind of sword that they could carry and use it specifically to kill somebody or run it through. Of course, the other kind can be too. Look at John 18.3. Try to get some details and the specifics here if we kind of grab it all together. In uh, John 18, verse 3, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, and that tells us a lot there, the Roman cohort, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, that's the temple police, they came with their lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, Roman cohort tells us a lot. The Roman cohort here is a word that means like 600. 600 soldiers, very possibly, is what uh, is going on here. You have the religious elite. These are the same people, you know, the Pharisees and scribes, the the lawyers, the elders. They had been questioning Jesus uh, throughout His ministry, but especially the very last week, you remember, He would be at the temple and they'd try to trip Him up with certain questions. Some of these might be those very same guys or from the same group. You have the Sadducees who are the religious liberals. We know religious liberals. Matter of fact, I think liberalism is more popular today than the, the preaching and the powerful preaching of the Word of God. And when you see uh, the Word of God being watered down and uh, it's not being proclaimed with authority, to me that's the start of liberalism or already is. The Sadducees didn't believe in any part of the Bible except for the first five books and everything else was not inspired. They didn't believe in the resurrection. No afterlife. Remember that? Can you imagine not even believing in an afterlife? After you die, this is it. Well, what's the deal about being here? If this is it, right? That's what they believed. How would you like to have been a Sadducee? (laughs) Sad, you see. (laughs) Pharisees, they were the religious conservatives and... They believed in a theocratic kingdom, and I mean, they had a lot of things right. The only thing is, they took it to the other side, and they took it into uh, the law. That's what it was all about, and they made their own laws to make sense out of what God's laws were. And I say sense; they made it 
tough on people is called legalism. Sadducees, liberals, and then you have the Pharisees, and these guys didn't really agree on a lot of things, but they're sure agreeing together now, aren't they? Isn't that amazing? You get the two people that have fought against each other before Jesus was around, and now they're just like buddy, old buddy, you know, pal, old pal, because they're going to destroy Jesus because he's going to take their job away. Uh, they were unanimous wanting Jesus dead. I think they're jealous of His power. They're jealous of His popularity. Look at the throngs, the thousands of people that have been following Him and uh, all the accolades that has been brought forth. They hated His message. Is about grace. Is about repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can only get in there by the grace of God. And of course they taught, no, 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 salvation is not a gift. You have to work for it. It's righteousness. Your own righteousness that gets in you. And that's the only way that you can get there. That's false, isn't it? That still hangs with us today. Jesus comes into the city and hundreds of thousands of people had hailed Him as He came into the city. And uh, you have people hostile to Him. He'd been at the temple. He'd gone into the temple and He wreaked havoc there, overturning the tables and running the animals out, running the people out. And uh, that was all about money. And he came back on that next day and there's debris all laying around probably. Maybe some of them were picking it up. And he came in that day and he just commandeered the whole place. And he turned it into the place that it needed to be and he preached the Word with authority. He answered the questions with authority, with the Word of God. That one day echoed through all of Jerusalem as he was at the temple, as he preached the truth. Truth coming out of the very God that we know, standing at the temple, speaking the Word of God. Now, is that powerful? It's what He had done. Do you think the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and all of those guys and the elders and the scribes, uh, what do you think they thought of that? Oh, that made them more... Because He got away. One guy did all that. And the crowds... They're so afraid of. We'll write to the right time. They, 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 it was his day as he preached at the temple. Well, the word for cohort is spare on. It's 600 soldiers, massive crowd. You're going to have insurrections possibly. There had already been a Jewish insurrection not too long before this. It's recorded in Mark 15:7. And one of the men there was in that insurrection was by the name of Barabbas. Bar, son, Abbas, Abba, Father. Romans didn't like insurrections. Barabbas was put in jail, to say lightly. And what's more is that he probably would have been the one, I do believe, that would have been on the cross being crucified with the two thieves. You remember the story? I think that's biblical, right? Wow. And he's the one, the crowd says, you can release Barabbas, but this Jesus crucify him. That's incredible. But see, he had started an insurrection. The Romans said, we're going to take care of that. But the Jews had an out, and uh, they traded. Well, in John 18, Jesus, in all actuality, gives himself up as he asked them 
whom do you seek? He knew who you guys looking for. He didn't run. He's in there. He, he heard them coming. He could have taken off, couldn't he have? No, he can't do that. Matter of fact, three times, and we probably need to turn there because this is important, in John 18, three times he says, I am. And I think you all know what I'm talking about when he says, I am. Matter of fact, in the book of John, you have a lot of I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and life. So on and so forth. Makes those seven I am statements. John is saying the I am means I am God. All of the Gospel of John is about the Son of God. Jesus is God. That's what John proves. And he does seven miracles. He does seven I am statements in John. Just outline it with those and you go, man, how can I not see Jesus as God here? So if you ever want to prove that Jesus is God, it's a great gospel to show somebody. I am He. So in John 18, they're coming there to arrest Him. We see in verse 7, He asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. A lot of Jesus is running around at that time. Yahashua, Joshua. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. Now, He's already said that in verse 5. He'd ask, Whom do you seek? Jesus the Nazarene. So He's saying it again. And He answers again, I told you I am He. So if you seek Me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which He spoke. This has to be fulfilled. Of those whom you have given Me, I lost not one. The ones whom you've given me. The elect ones I don't lose. All that the Father gives to me are mine. They will come to me. It's not the ones who come to Him and then the Father gives them to the Son. That's the Arminian belief. And that's the popular gospel of the day. If we come to Him, if we would come to Him, then, and only then, would the Father give them to the Son. But in John 6, it does not say that. Let's go back to John 6. I just heard this morning on uh, refnet.fm, Sproul was on John 6, and I said, oh, I've got to hear this. You know what? He didn't surprise me. He didn't let me down at all. One of my favorite texts in all the Bible, right? We know in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Did you hear that? All that the Father gives me will come. It's not the ones who come and then the Father gives. Don't you like that? I'd never heard it that way before. I said, thank you, R.C. I'm going to use that today. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. It's because you've been elected from the foundation of the world, which is stated all throughout the New Testament, book of Ephesians and Romans and on and on. Second Timothy, I've come down from heaven. Verse 44, uh, we get, no one can come to me unless, what? 
The Father who sent me draws him. That's why people don't get it. Unless they've been drawn and and people say, oh, well that means to make yourself palatable. And, you know, uh, there's a drawing. He's going to throw out some things and maybe they'll come to me now because... Can you imagine Jesus coming here? I'm going to do what I can, but I don't know what's going to happen. God says, I did what I could do. I'd like to have them all saved, but I can't. It's up to them now. If that were the case, folks, nobody would come because it says what here? The Father has to drop my... And by the word, that is not an enticing. I'll entice them with you know, a little trap out here. You know, I'll give them a little bit of food or whatever. You know, I'll make it tasty. No, the word means to seize. Uh, it's like a, a well, not an artesian well, he said. Um, R.C. said, but it's like a well that you have to draw it out. That's the Father doing that. He draws them. He does that. I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that great? I'm thankful for the grace of God. No one comes to me unless the Father has sent me. You know what? People got enraged at Jesus when he made his statements like this. And and you know what happens? People leave. Because at the end of this chapter, in John 6, he says in 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Who was one of them? One of them was Judas. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. Oh, there's going to be not just Judas, but others watch. And He was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to Me, nobody, unless it has been granted Him from the Father. And all the ones who come to Him will be saved. That means either He has elected everybody and they all will come, and that's a universal salvation, and that would be great, but... There's a hell. There are people who will not go to heaven, right? There are unbelievers. We know that. You look in Scripture. What does He say here? For this reason I've said to you that no one come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father and watch. As a result of this, and I think these guys are apostates. Look at this. Many of His disciples. We're not talking the twelve here. Disciples. We were talking about this morning. Disciples are ones who actually followed Him around. They were learners of Him but it was right here, intellectually. They didn't have it here. What did they do? They withdrew, and what's this? And were not walking with Him anymore. I think this goes with the story with Judas, doesn't it? What doctrine made them turn away from Him? It's called the doctrine of predestination. The doctrine of election, which he just stated here in John 6.37, John 6.44. He brings it forth here again in verse 64, 65, verse 65 especially. And, of course, he even said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? People are starting to leave. Much of the church today does not believe what Jesus said in verse 44 and verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Anyway, blame that on R.C. And um, by the way, blame it on Jesus who spoke about it. Blame it on Paul who you'll find writes it in the epistles all throughout the epistles. We could go to all those. 
we I won't labor on that. Romans and Ephesians and Timothy and on and on. Um, throughout the church, Augustine. We're not alone, folks. It's not that I just made this up. Uh, then you have the Reformation. What was the Reformation? People were getting uh, people were totally away from the Word of God. Word of God was not anywhere near anybody. You had guys like Wycliffe come along and start making it popular. Huss. Uh, but then Luther, Martin Luther comes along, the just shall live by faith, not by works. And the Reformation started. And out of that, you get people like John Knox, John Calvin, who are heroes of the faith, who gave us truth, who preached the Word of God verse by verse. And then you go on through and you see the, the, the Puritans, John Owen, um, John Bunyan, um, the, the, all of the church at that time when it started that was re, in reformed theology as the, the word of God and then it started getting watered down but through, all throughout the Reformation Charles Spurgeon today you have people like John Piper John MacArthur R.C. Sproul uh, Alistair Begg uh, oh my who are some other, other people that you can help me with Erwin uh, Lutzer uh, we can go on and on, folks. We are Lawson. not just alone. Who? Lawson. Stephen Lawson. Yes. And there are a lot Al of... Al Moeller. Al Moeller. Oh, my. Mark Dever. Uh, Phil Johnson. Yeah. We can go on and on. Uh, it's not that we just have a little group. No, no, no. This has been going on for thousands of years. It goes all the way back to when God chose Israel. Now, how did I get into this? <laughs> I didn't even plan on this. But, you know, somebody can say, well, wait a minute, that sure sounds different than what I've always thought. Well, join the crowd. Every one of us came up as Arminians. Matter of fact, we'd kind of like to return back to Arminianism sometimes. Our own little selves like to get a little credit. Is 99% God and 1% me? Billy Graham even says that. Not true. It's 100% God and none of me. I believed... But why did I believe? I was depraved. I was like Judas. I could have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. Every one of you would have too. We're all depraved. We're spiritually dead. Could not respond. Guess what? Out of His grace, He, by the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 3, and all of John is about, about this kind of thing, He regenerates us. And then we can say, yes, I believe. And that's where our yes comes in. My. I've taught about that too many times, haven't I? No, I haven't. That's the Gospel, folks. Isn't that great? Well, I'll tell you what. When Jesus said this, I am He, what happened? Hundreds of people literally bit the ground. They went down. They all fell to the ground. That's supernatural. Jesus is there. And you know what He could have done? Toodaloo, guys. I'm out of here. He could have made them stick like glue. <laughs> now that is amazing. What's more amazing is that He let them come back up. I think He just showed that He is in control here. He is the one of power. I, what I can't believe is they've all been, hundreds of people, hundreds that were going to arrest Him, now have hit the ground and as they get, as he lets them come back up, they're going to arrest him after that. This is the holy God who they come up to arrest, and all of them go down. They couldn't, every one of them, they couldn't even stand. Think about it. Why in the world? That's the way our hearts are against God. We've got our hearts made up, and we're going to do it anyway. I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. And even Christians have that 
I have the liberty to do this. Who are you to tell me? Just saying. (laughs) Be careful, folks. Be careful what route you're going down. These guys should have gotten the message. How could they continue to do what they do? Well, they have to. Because this is part of the plan. But they're all held responsible for what they do. That's the beauty of this supernatural God. Everything is on schedule. This is the way to the cross. And now Judas... Boy, we've got to keep moving on here, folks. We're now in verse 44. We've done one verse. Are you kidding me? Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. He tells him how he's going to do it. And here is it. I'm going to kiss him. There's nothing external about Jesus that draws people to him. It's not that he's a beautiful, blonde-headed guy with, with the long hair down to here, and he's really cool looking with the blue eyes. He is Jewish. He looks like a Jew. He looks like your common Jew. There's nothing about him that would want to put him into Hollywood. I can tell you that. It says in Isaiah 53, there was nothing really comely about him. The assumption is as though, listen, he's going to try to escape And it's kind of dark out. You guys don't know for sure which one it is. It'll be the one that I go up and give a kiss on on the face there, on the chin, what have you. And that was a common thing to do. Um, Slaves would even kiss the feet. Inferiors would kiss the hands. Equals would kiss the cheek. He's an equal with Jesus, it says in Psalms. This makes it all the more ugly, doesn't it? I mean, how could he do this? Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That's what Jesus says. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus could have destroyed him on the spot. Can you imagine? He could have just gone, that, boom, he's gone. I mean, all there are ashes. (laughs) There's nothing left. Or he turns into a pillar of salt. He could have done that. Are you betraying me with a kiss? Matthew 27.3 says that he saw that Jesus was condemned. Jesus, who had be- Judas, who had betrayed him, verse 3 in Matthew 27, saw that he had been condemned. Well, what does that mean? That means he stuck around. He watched the things that were going on. And he went to the trials, the early hours in the morning, all those fake trials where they didn't have a really true witness on anything, how, how embarrassing it was for the judges. Uh, they didn't really have anything that could stand. And then he sees it all the way to the point where they condemn him. That's where he feels remorse. He returns the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And, uh, of course, he gives them back that money. I have sinned, in verse 4, betraying innocent blood. Yeah, he sure did. Still doesn't repent. He wished he hadn't done that thing. But he's not repenting in that he is sorry for his sin and wants his life changed. He went out and hanged himself. He didn't do very well on that because in Acts 1, which our study is on Wednesday night, has been surrounding this kind of same thing too. Ultimately, his body fell. As he was hanging, he smashed on the rocks and his intestines came out. The rope broke or the branch broke as he suspended himself out over this precipice. And he did a horrific thing and he had a horrific, tragic death. 
What a sad commentary. You know what? People don't name their sons Judas anymore. Do you know a Judas running around? Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't even know if anybody names their dog Judas. You know of any dogs named Judas Judas or cats? The greatest illustration of wasted opportunity, squandered privilege. I think it's the worst ever, ever, ever. The son of perdition. The arrest happened, John 18.12, the Roman cohort and commander and the officers of the Jews, the temple police, they arrested Jesus and tied Him up. And that's what Judas told him to do. Arrest him, seize him, tie him up, take him on out. And now we get to the impulsive disciple. And this is that one we're familiar with. We're moving on, aren't we? Um, Verse 45 says, After coming, Judas immediately uh, went to him saying, Rabbi, and he kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him, right? Just right under the the directions that was given in uh, 44. Uh, 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now Mark doesn't identify who that is. But we all know who this is. We're not just guessing. We know in other passages. And Luke 22, 36-38 says, you're going to need a sword because you're going to be confronted. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be needing to be able to defend yourself. But he's not talking about doing this. This is not what Jesus told him. He says, when you go out and you do this thing, you're going to have to be ready to defend yourself. This message that you're giving is not that popular. <laughs> okay? If they want to kill me, uh, they'll sure be wanting to kill you. But, uh, they have two swords. In Luke 22, it says there's two swords. Peter has one of them. Matter of fact, he might have been a two-sworded Peter. Because I think, uh, uh, or he might have been, a, somebody might have given him uh, another one, but... Uh, somehow he got both of them. He pulls one out, whacks off the ear of Malchus. The guy is identified as Malchus. Mark doesn't really name names a lot. Everything's immediate here, you know. Immediately he moves on. That verse forty-five. He said immediately there too, right? Um, so he's just trying to get the gist of the story. The other gospel writers fill it in. Um, John eighteen ten. It was Peter. According to John eighteen ten, the guy's name is Malchus. He's a servant of Caiaphas, the high priest. He's a servant of the high priest. He wasn't a police officer. He wasn't even a soldier. He's just there, the high priest. Uh, he's, he's there. He's a servant. Uh, the flesh for Peter acts on impulse. The flesh of us acts on impulse. Without going to prayer, without doing things, things seem right in the eyes of man sometimes. And he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And just because one is sincere does not make one right. He was ready to take on the Roman battalion. He's ready to take him on. This is a demonstration of the flesh. I don't blame him. Here they are. Jesus doesn't deserve this. It's not going to happen. He already told Jesus, No, no, you don't have to die. This is not going to happen. The flesh lacks restraint. The flesh lacks self-control. Can you guys identify with that? Do we fail in that area sometimes? Yeah, boy, we like to blame it on Peter, don't we? The flesh takes things into our own hands and we just start taking it. And sometimes we know better. But hey, I can control this. We have to be filled with the Spirit. And he was not filled with the Spirit at that time, of course. But 
He was in the flesh. Flesh is, flesh is what His will wanted to do. And we can get in the flesh and start uh, getting mad at people who just cut us off in traffic. I can't believe they did that. And all of a sudden, we, man, you know, who knows? We might try to even start running them off the road or saying things, saying things we shouldn't ever be heard to say. Uh, and that can be not only in the traffic, it can be other places. And uh, we operate on the impulse, and that's the flesh. And if we operate that way, that means, oh, I just failed. I did not do that in the Spirit, did I? I was not filled with the Spirit. Anytime we have sinned, we have been out of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's always here. It's just that we are not filled with Him. Why did Peter do this? Doesn't he know better? Well, if you had just seen Jesus do what He did with this crowd, with one word, and they all fell, <laughs> and you got Jesus standing right here, I'll take them all on because look at the power. I know He's supernatural and He's going to respect this. He's going to think I'm a great hero and I've already said that I'm going to be with Him all the way. Even if it means death. I'm here. Let's go for it. He starts swinging wildly with this sword. And somebody has said, either He is the, the worst with a sword or He is the absolute best swordsman that there is. He's the worst. If he's the worst, it's because he takes that sword and he wants to whack off the guy's head. He misses his whole head. He wants to cut his throat off. He wants to slit it. And what does he do? He he gets his ear. He missed him. Or he's the best. He says, I'm not going for the head. I'm going to cut his ear. Like that. I'm going to cut part of his ear. I mean, I'm precise right here. I think he was not very good. I think he was good with the nets. I think he was terrible with the sword. And he had this sword. And he just swings wildly. Misses the target. But I tell you what. Great damage here though. The guy's ears chopped off. And Peter did it in the flesh. You know what the, the flesh can do? It can do some great damage, folks. Watch out. When you act on impulse, what can it do? And you can pay the consequences for quite some time. Believers must be filled with the Spirit all the time or they will act with what their flesh wants to do. Well, it's been been said here about what uh, Peter did. Put your sword away. Matthew 26, Jesus says, whoever lives by the sword, dies by the sword. That's the government's job. It's not your job to do. I think that's advocating capital punishment. The sword. Sword is given to the government. They're not doing the, that on capital crimes anymore. People kill people and within 10 years they're out. Within 5 years. Maybe they don't even give them that. Or they give them a, in prison for the rest of your life. That's usually the case. Put your sword in the sheath. The Lord reached over, healed the ear, the only healing in the New Testament of a fresh wound. Peter, it's not how we do this. It's not how it goes. And then Jesus turns to these ones who are arresting Him. Starts questioning them. If you come out with swords and clubs to arrest Me as you would against a robber, every day I was with you in the temple teaching you didn't seize Me that this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures. This is penetrating. 
he raises a question to show how conspiring they were. Why now? Why are you doing this now? Why are you bringing all of these people up here? 600 soldiers, if that be the case, a Roman cohort, all the temple priests up there at this time of the day, night. I was here with you on Monday. I was at the temple on Tuesday and Wednesday. You never arrested me then. You didn't bring the temple police on me. What he's doing is he's unmasking the grand hypocrisy that they are doing. It's a clandestine operation which they're taking him at night because it was a violation of all their own laws. They can't do this at night. You don't rest people at night. Beware of that. When you hear about that, that's always down through history what the government does. Start breaking into homes at night. That's when the government, big government, takes over. They come at night, in the dark, breaking open the doors. Scripture is fulfilled. And in your witless, hostile anger, you are fulfilling the plan of God on schedule. That's why you're here. He knew why they were here. Scripture will be fulfilled. God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign here. All throughout this, isn't that what you see? This is the eternal plan. Satan's been in on this. And we see the disciples scatter. And that's what they were told they would do. They were saying, no, we're not going to do that. You all will fall away. Remember we spoke about that last week in Zechariah 13.7? And here it is. Within a short amount of hours, they go. They scatter. Probably a good thing to do. Matter of fact, he uh, even kind of told them to um, to get on out. Would you let let them go? So they all left him and fled. And we know Peter kind of hangs out in the background. It'd been better for him just to go ahead and flee on out too, because he winds up doing what he did three times. Then you have this young man. I can't make a message out of it next week. It's really past time. Uh, just an interesting sidelight. And my young man was following, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. They seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Uh, how does that fit in with all that we've done? And, and uh, I can't really tell you for sure who this is. And I know you're saying, well, it's Mark. Uh, how do you know? I think it's a good chance that it probably is. I won't force it, but I'll definitely put it out that it could be. He doesn't name names. Mark doesn't hear at this point. But Mark could have been in that same house that where the upper room was at or really close to there. Maybe he had heard all the things that were going on. It could have been somebody else up there at the garden or whatever. you know. But anyway, it's nighttime. You have a sheet over you. And, uh, you know... Uh, he wraps himself around in that and he wants to see it, out, see what's going on. Somewhere in the middle of the night, uh, they hear this commotion. The commotion's going on. The guy, he jumps out of bed. says, I'm going to go out there and find out what's going on. You'd do the same thing, wouldn't you? If you heard all this. There's a lot of soldiers and clanging and swords and such. So he's, this guy's out there poking around in the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, suddenly... Somebody thinks he's a threat. They see him. 
they started thinking, well, you know, the disciples are fleeing, and, and this guy right here, and, and if it happens to be Mark, you know, he, he's a young one anyway. He's a young man. He would have been young at this time. So they go to grab him, and they do. They get a hold of this, this sheet, and he just takes off. Joseph had that happen to him too, remember? <laughs> he fled. Listen, folks, whenever there's something around like sin that you know it could be a temptation, what does God say? Get out. I don't care what it is. Don't play around with it. Right now, leave, or you're going to find yourself in a mess of trouble. And this guy gets out of there, even if it means that he's going to run naked. And and there you go. However that story goes, I mean, it's kind of, you know, wow, kind of of strange. Uh, So the guy was left holding the sheet as the the guy leaves. (laughs) Where do you go? It's dark at night. Go back home. In the end, there's nothing to be said here except Jesus is triumphant. He has victory here, knowing He's going to the cross. Most people would say, oh, He lost the battle. He's fulfilling prophecy. Everything's coming about the way it's supposed to be. There were prophecies about Judas. They've come true. There were prophecies about Him being the Passover Lamb. They are coming true. There were prophecies about the cross. There were prophecies that He would be lifted up. We have all this evidence. There were prophecies about Him being pierced by the nails and the sword written hundreds of years before this happened. It's all what Scripture says. Look in Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Christ. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. But He goes willingly. He could have gotten out of there. He goes out of love for His Father and out of love for you and me. Because it's your sins, my sin, that carried Him there. I ask you today, who are you in this story? Could one be like Judas and not be real? Could one be the part of the religious crowd or the people that are influenced by what others do and so they just go along with the crowd even though, I don't feel right about this. This doesn't seem so biblical. Are we like Peter? No self-control? Well, we'd all like to be like Christ. But this shows a lot of lessons in here. And I'd hope that most of all it would show us the grace of God and that we could see how holy He is and how much we really need Him. Hang on to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your story. The story we're so familiar with, and yet the depth of it is incredible. May we be led by Your Spirit today to live these truths that are so precious to us in Scripture that we would not play along, but desire to really follow Christ, to turn from our sin and not let the flesh guide us but let the Holy Spirit absolutely fill us. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.